Five Lies of the Devil, part two, the lie that we're addressing is right there on the top of your notes. God is mad at you. God is mad at you. We're talking about uh, our enemy, and I love the video that we keep playing for this series, Know Your Enemy, because if we don't know our enemy, we won't know how to fight. We won't know how to push back at his deception. Last weekend, we started this series talking about how he's out there and he is lying to us all the time. He is our opponent. He accuses us day and night, Scripture says, which means that there's always going to be a time in the day in which you're going to hear the voice of Satan telling you something false about you, about God, about the world. And so today in this series, well, for this series, I'm really excited to bring it to you because I, I want you to be fighting 2020 well. Anybody with me? You want to fight well in 2020? Yes. Amen. So we got to know how to fight. We got to know his lies. And here's the thing. This next weekend, we start fighting in a serious way. Because what happens starting next Sunday? Does anybody remember? Oh, you're a wonderfully attentive audience. <laughs> next week, we start our annual Start the Year Fast, uh, beginning on Sunday, fasting dinner, Monday, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Tuesday, breakfast, and I would advise you lunch and have a late, uh, late light dinner before you come to first Tuesday on the last Tuesday of this month. Yeah, yeah, we're already starting that. So first Tuesday and last Tuesday, because that's our tradition, and uh, we want you to come. And I think that we're going to have an amazing moment in the presence of the Lord with each other, and I believe that God's going to start to put some things into your heart and into your life for 2020, because 2020 is the year of? Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Let's all do it together. Cock that hand back and don't hit your neighbor. One, two, three, breakthrough. Oh, yes, that's what 2020 is going to be. Um, so that's happening. And also, remember that it's not just solid food. It is social media. And social media all three days, no Twitter, no Facebook, no Instagram, no Snapchat, no TikTok, no nothing. So just, you guys are laughing because you didn't think I knew what TikTok was, did you? <laughs> I'm down, I'm hip, I'm relevant, okay? TikTok. Anyway, <laughs> nothing like that. All three days, I believe God's going to speak to you, and we're going to pray. We're going to give you some um, prayer priorities for all those meals. Okay, so let's stand together because we're going to get into the Word, and then we're going to unpack it. Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Somebody say Job. Job. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you probably call him Job, but his name is Job. <laughs> And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. And he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 cattle, 5,000 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and many, uh, very many servants, so that his ma this man was the greatest, the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of one, each one on his day, that means his birthday. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that one of my children has sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Somebody say continually. Verse 6. 
the story begins. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth, walking down, up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear you for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him in all his house and all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask that these next few moments are governed by your will and your truth. I pray that our hearts are ready to receive all that you want to say to us. I pray that my words will be what you want them to be and nothing of what you don't want them to be. And help us to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Five lies of the devil. God is mad at you. Two-thirds of Americans believe at some point in their life when tragedy strikes that God is at fault and God is doing something to them and therefore they believe that God is in some way mad at them or against them. Two-thirds. Two-thirds of Americans. A psychologist from uh, Case Western University conducted this study and noted the number of ways in which this idea that, every, that the things that are tragic in our lives are from God messes with our minds in profoundly deep ways. Uh, deeper ways than if we blame just life or the world or natural disasters or people. See, there is a lie from the devil that could undermine your thinking in ways you might not even understand, and that is to start blaming God for the bad things that happen in your life. I think that this is part of the devil's strategy. I know it's part of the devil's strategy because it's the part of the devil's strategy that we see exhibited in the book of Job. Job is a righteous man. Job was a good man. Blameless, the scripture says. That doesn't mean that he never sinned. It means that he sinned, but then he repented and he turned to God. And he lived righteously and uprightly, and he was blessed. And Satan puts him through the ringer. I mean, I don't know how much you're familiar with this story, but Satan really unloads hell on Job. Now, the thing about trouble is we've got to know where it comes from, or we will fall right into the trap of the lie of the devil. We've got to know. Uh, I don't know if you heard the Oscar nominations came out. I know you're all waiting for that. <laughs> and uh, the amazing thing, the only thing that I really actually want to bring up about this is that uh, there was one movie that got the most Oscar nominations, and it was kind of a unique kind of movie. Does anybody know what movie got the most nominations? Joker. Does anybody know who the Joker is? Does anybody watch movies? <laughs> okay, there's this guy called Batman. Actually, he's also Bruce Wayne. Don't tell anybody I told you that. He's got a nemesis. His number one nemesis is the Joker. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> you know. Uh, the Joker movie 
has been nominated for 11 Oscars. And, is it, and it made me ask, is this because of cinematography, storytelling, screenplay, writing, and all that stuff? Or is it something deeper? Which I think it is. That we need to see where does this stuff come from? Think about it. Joker is a comic book movie, which I love comic book big bo- comic book movies. I love The Avengers. I love, you know, Captain America, uh, Thor, uh, Iron Man, my personal favorite. Love all that. But this is the first origin comic book story about the bad guy. And I think it speaks to something deeper in our culture. We want to know where does trouble come from? Because trouble is out there. It's unavoidable. You have to live exactly two seconds to experience trouble. You come out of your mother's womb, you're already crying. (laughs) Right? You're already mad at the world. What's happening? And so it goes from there onward. The moment mom takes away something that you want to put in your mouth. Ah! The moment you get picked on at the schoolyard or beat up or bullied. The moment that that person rejects you in high school. The moment that you lose the job unexpectedly. On and on and on it goes. And then it gets serious when you become an adult. Then there's tragic events, there's sicknesses, there's heartache, there's children who won't listen, then there's struggle in your marriage, or possibly, or at your job. Trouble's unavoidable, amen? It's everywhere, and so this is, I think, because we have, as a culture, in a big way, kind of shifted away from Judeo-Christian philosophy. We've kind of marginalized religious belief. We've kind of marginalized even the existence of God and the reliability of the scriptures. And I'm talking about culturally. I'm not talking necessarily about the church. I'm talking about the culture. And so we've gotten away from God. Guess what else we have gotten away from? The idea that there is an anti-God. There is someone against God who wants to undermine everything that God does. And so now today, our culture is wondering the great question of why? We're so smart, but it still happens. We're so educated, but people still do evil. We're so safe, but still we experience mass shootings, mass stabbings. Take away the guns, what's going to happen? They're going to start stabbing people. Take away the knives, what's going to happen? They're going to start eating people. I don't know. (laughs) There's something tragic going on all the time, which begs us to ask the question, why? Now, here's the thing I want to write about. I want you to write down about trouble because you're going to experience it. But here's what I know about trouble. Trouble makes everyone a theologian. It really does. We could live 500 days, no trouble. Trouble comes, we're like, God, what happened? But we didn't talk to him for those 500 good days, did we? And we only want to talk about the bad days, even in our insurance binders. Anybody in insurance? Hmm? What do we call tornadoes, hurricanes, Acts of God. (laughs) Suddenly, he's worth mentioning. (laughs) You know, 450 days of goodness. Ah, That's just karma, baby. Karma. You sent out good karma. You got karma back. Good for you. One bad day. God, why? (laughs) Well, where was he those 450 days? What I'm trying to tell you is trouble makes us theologians. So let me, let me unpack something for you because i got to illustrate this. You know that it's serious when I bring out the whiteboard. Uh, here's how it goes. Trouble. Somebody say trouble. trouble. I only ask you to say that so that I have time to write it down. <laughs> trouble, we need to blame someone for the trouble. Somebody say blame. blame. In other words, who's the joker? 
And here's the thing. Here's what goes down in your life, in my life, in Coacher's life. Three options. The first option is God. Ah, God did this. God is getting me. Here's other, op- other alternatives to the lie. God has mad at you. God is punishing you for all the bad stuff you've ever done. God is taking out on you all those days you forgot about him. God is paying you back for what you did yesterday. As if God is like that nitpicky. <laughs> Keeping accurate day-by-day tallies on how good or bad you've been and then sticking it to you the next day. You gotta watch out for this, but it's definitely in the eyes of Satan, in the mind of Satan to get you to blame God. Here's another option though, self. Somebody say self. So if we won't blame God, we'll blame self. What did I do? What's wrong with me? What, what do I need to fix about me? How many made a, maybe you made a resolution this year. I'm gonna make that resolution so that it will go better and I will avoid trouble. Self is to blame. If we won't blame God or self, there's only one other option. Others, yes. Oops. Others. Why are they like that? I don't understand them. They just seem to have it out for me. Oh, that kind of personality really bugs me. Trouble. What are we going to do with it? We're going to become theologians. And, And here's the thing. When we blame God, we are on a pathway to atheism. I think I have a quote there from C.S. Lewis. Can we put that C.S. Lewis quote up on the screen? I think I have it, if it's in your notes. C.S. Lewis said that pain is the number one argument against the existence of God. Pain. So when we blame God, I guess we don't have it on the screen, so forget about that. When we blame God, we're on the way. We might not become full-on atheists, but how about agnostic? And it's amazing to me. How, there it is, the problem of pain is atheism's atheism's most potent weapon against Christian faith. Okay, anyway, it's amazing to me how this has to be taught. Children very easily, and believe me, I know because I've had three of them, very easily come to the knowledge of God, very easily. This is why Jesus says, become like a child if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's amazing how often the older people get the more they trend toward this when God is to blame for all their problems. It's amazing how many times I have looked this up and the leaders or the CEOs of uh, organizations that are against religion in the public life, like freedom from religion, Americans for the separation of church and state, all these organizations that are out there. It's amazing to me how many times the leader of that organization was not an atheist, became one. And how often they became an atheist from the Christian faith. Not Buddhism or Hinduism or all those other faiths. It's amazing to me how many times people let trouble turn them into agnostics or atheists. Because God is to blame. And the devil sits back and says, this one was easy. If we want to blame ourselves... We actually go the opposite direction. Do you know what happens when we, when we only blame ourselves? For all of our trouble, we become religious. And this is where penance and sacraments and faith practices to undo all the bad stuff comes in. Some of those things are good. We should actually have Christian practices. But if we're always blaming ourselves for every problem in our life, we will perpetually be scourging ourselves, castigating ourselves. And here's what happens. And you know this, and I know this too. We are always hardest 
on the people who sin just like us. Oh, you didn't want to say amen to that, but you, you know it was true. Your silence betrayed you. A couple of years ago, I always talk about Jake, so let me talk about my oldest this time. My oldest is named Olivia, and, and she's a wonderful girl, 18 years old now, uh, going to college. But anyway, many years ago, uh, I had come home from work, and I was tired, and she was very young, and she came to me with the iPad, and she wanted me to sign into the iPad for her. Well, actually, she said, no, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm tired I'm tired of having to do it. Can you just show me uh, how to sign into the iPad so that I can do it myself? And I was just mad and kind of, bu- you know, en- low energy and tired. So I just, I just said, I said, Olivia, you're not always going to have me around. Get on Google and look it up yourself. And I did that because I'm a loving father. <laughs> Sorry, I, I still need Jesus. Okay, anyway, so I thought, case closed, gave her a lesson, off she went. Literally within three hours the same night, uh, her brother, her younger brother, two years younger brother, Connor, came to Olivia and said, I need some help with my English homework. Can you help me? What do you think she said? <laughs> she said, Connor, you're not always going to have me around to help you. Get on Google and figure it out yourself. <laughs> now, the funny thing is that she said the same thing that I had said to her. But for some reason, when it came out of her mouth, it sounded much nastier. <laughs> Anybody with me on this? See, when you're always beating yourself up, you turn into a person who loves to beat up others. It's therapeutic. This is why many times like pastors who rail against certain sins, the hardest are the ones doing it the most. Religious people blame themselves for all their trouble. If I could just get more strict, if I could just get more dedicated, if I could just get more holy, then my trouble will go away. Others. If you're blaming others, what do you become? Politicians. <laughs> Amen? It's 2020. Get ready. Here it comes. Okay? Someone else is to blame for all your problems. It's the rich people. It's the poor people. It's the liberals. It's the conservatives. It's the Christians. It's the atheists. It's the socialists. It's the libertarians. Whatever. You're always going to hear the politicians blame your trouble on someone else to get your vote. The problem is, Underneath all of this is Satan. There he is right there. And the thing is, we should know this. If we read our Bibles, we'd know First, Second Corinthians 4.4. 4, he's the God of this world. He's the God of this world. Small g, that should be, small g. Because he's not the God. He's a God. And God in Scripture means a powerful one or the God. Okay? Anyway. He's the God of this world. How about this? First John, this one you should know. If you don't know it, now you know. First John 5, 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Christians know this. That's why he says we know. Christians see the world rightly because they know that there is a supernatural force in the heavenly realms that is actively trying to undermine their faith, their peace, their life, their joy. If you didn't know this, this was the best service for you to show up to because you got to know he's active. Now, the thing about it is Satan sits under the surface and he causes us to blame God, self, and others for the things he does. This is his action. This is what he does. This is his thing. 
Here's his strategy. I want you to write this down. Satan's strategy in our trouble, two things. Hide and divide. Hide. I don't want you to see that as me. I'd much rather you blame mom and dad. So go and pay a therapist $250 to blame mom and dad. Or blame the educational system. Or blame capitalism. Uh, And he doesn't want you to see that, uh, you know, he's doing it. He'd much rather you beat yourself up. Just kick yourself down the street every single day. He loves the word worthless. Oh, he loves that one. You know why you do this? Because you're a worthless person. That's what worthless people do. Or he says, fool, or stupid, or idiot. I wonder if there's people in this room right today or watching online. That's what you called yourself this week. Who told you that? It didn't come from God. The Bible says you're the apple of his eye. The Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that he loves you with an everlasting love. The Bible says you are created in his image, and he does not create junk. I wish I had a better amen for that. God creates beauty. And you need to understand that the devil wants to hide and divide. And then he wants you to blame God. Because if he can get you to blame God, he can get you to doubt the existence or the goodness of God. And here's what happens. If 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 he gets you to blame God, he'll separate you from your father. Somebody say father. Everyone needs a father. We all know this. Where there's no fathers, cultures and societies fall apart. You need your heavenly father. If he gets you to blame religious people, guess what he divides you from? The church. Oh, how many people? I don't want to go to church. They just make me feel bad about myself. And this is an amazing strategy. So he gets you out of church. Oh, the church doesn't help me. No, thank you. Or how many people tell you? Or or maybe you said it and you came anyway. Oh, the day that I go to church, the roof's going to cave in. (laughs) Hello, you've fallen right into his trap. Because God does not make junk. Or if he can get you to blame others, he will separate you from your neighbor. And guess what we've got today? With all of our heightened political tribalism, what have we got today? More loneliness than ever before. Isolation, Isolation, exactly. And people feeling like there's no one that they can rely on or count on. Neighborliness has gone away because we have fallen right into the trap of the devil that everybody's to blame for my problems. And I got to side with my political tribe and therefore I got to blame them. And if I got to blame them, I can't be with them. And then you are a sitting duck for part three of this series next week. Don't miss it. You're the only one. Is this helping anybody yet? Hide and divide. I got hi- to divide you from your father. I got to divide you from the church. I got to divide you from your neighbor. And it's high time that the church stops dancing around the subject of Satan, stops pretending like he doesn't exist, starts telling the church of the living God that we've got an enemy and it's time to stand up in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus and say, not today, Satan. I know you're a liar and I'm with my father in heaven. We got to start doing this. We can't get cute around this stuff. So here's the thing. The point that I'm making is, in times of trouble, you can write it down. In times of trouble, the devil seeks to communicate one repeated lie. God is mad at you. God's mad at you. God's out to get you. By the way, back to this, let me just go back here real quick one second. Isn't it amazing how when all this stuff happens, 
we can't live the two great commandments, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You got to be aware of this stuff. This is why we're doing this series. Some of you got to know, he's out to get you. So we see the story, the story of Job. And <laughs> I really want you to see what happens in Job chapter 1 and 2, because in Job chapter 1 and 2, we get one of these things. We get a backstage pass. Anybody ever go to a concert and get one of these things? I'm just going to put this on for a point. Job 1 and 2 is the backstage pass of what's happening in the heavenly realms as Job, the righteous man, experiences trouble. What happens? We're going to find out three things. The nature of our enemy, number one. The nature of our world, number two. And the nature of God. God gave us Job 1 and 2 so that we would be aware of our enemy's tactics and devices. And we wouldn't be caught unawares of how to fight back. So it tells us in Job chapter 1 that he was, in verse 1, he was blameless. He was upright. We can put it up on the screen. Job was blameless. He was a righteous man. He was upright. Feared God. And he was blessed. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. Verse 6, though. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. How many think that's a little bit weird? The sons of God could be angels. They could just be mighty men of old. We don't know. They came before the presence of God. We don't know exactly where, but they were in the presence of God, and they have a conversation with, there's Satan. Some of you are under the false impression that Satan's in hell. He's not in hell. He will be in hell. He's not there yet. This is what God wants us to know. This is why the text is there. Some of you are under the impression that Satan is in charge of hell. He is not in charge of hell. No, because one day he's going to be locked for eternity in hell. And nobody gets locked in a space they're in charge of. You know who's in charge of hell? Jesus is in charge of hell. He came out of the grave and he said, I have the keys of hell and death. I live and I am alive forevermore. And so he's the one who is going to cast our enemy into the fiery pit for all eternity. Jesus, not the devil, is in charge of hell. And so you think, well, what, you know, what, what's the deal with, with Satan walking around? That's what he is. First Peter 5.8, we talked about it last week. He prowls around. He's on this earth. I just, I say this because I want you to be aware that he's active. He's active against you. So anyway, the Lord said to Satan in verse 7, have you considered my servant Job? Now, I've always had this thought whenever I've read that verse. And I've always prayed this prayer. God, if you and Satan are ever having a conversation and you want to bring me up, please don't. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> I want to please God quietly. Okay? <laughs> because here's what happens. God's like, you know, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, blameless and upright. And, and then Satan, listen to the accusation. Listen to the accusation. Does he fear you for no reason? Oh, man, Satan is full of hate. You know he's only in this for the goodies. See, one of the Satan's accusations against people who are always in and out of the church is just that. You're only really interested in this thing for yourself, you know. 
You're only interested in serving God for what you can get out of God. That's an accusation from the devil. And no, 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 no. True Christians are not interested in God for what they can get out of God. True Christians are interested in God for God. Amen, yeah. We, we, we love him. And so the story of Job is going to expose the lie of Satan that those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, those whose hearts have been changed by God's almighty word, those who have encountered the risen Lord Jesus Christ are not in it for what they can get out of God. They are in it because they love God. They know God and they thank God for all that he is in their lives. That's Christianity, friend. Anybody tells you it's a crutch, hasn't read this book, and doesn't know what it means to believe in God. That's what this story is about. Are you in this for God or for the goodies? Satan's accusation. Have you not put a hedge around him? Verse 10. You protected him. Then verse 11. You just stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. Look at how even the devil wants it, wants it to start with God. You do it. What does God say? No, no. All that he has is in your hands. I don't know why God did this. Well, I kind of do, and I'll tell you at the end. But he does it. He says, all right, go ahead. You see if you're right about my servant, Job. And Job experiences hell. We didn't read it, but it's pretty tragic. A servant shows up and says, all your flocks have been stolen by the Sabaeans. While he's talking, another one says, all your barns have burned down and collapsed. And while he's still talking, another one shows up and says, all your sons and daughters are dead. Here's what I want you to write down about your enemy, concerning your enemy. Satan uses circumstantial trouble to give a spiritual uncertainty. When trouble happens, watch your spirit. You might want to write that down just as a side note. <laughs> when trouble happens. Watch your spirit. The devil's going to try to use it, leverage it, try to get you to think God did this, others did this, you're, you're terrible, you're a worthless person, and your spirit's going to get attacked. And the scripture is very clear that this is what he does. He seeks to steal. He seeks to kill and destroy. What? What, what does he seek to kill? You personally? No where your trust is, where your faith is, who you're trusting and who you're relying on. So the enemy comes, and he just annihilates all that Job has. And God said, you can't touch Job, but you can touch everything else. And he does. He touches everything else. What does Job do? Verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground. And what's the word? Circle worshiped. He worshiped God in the midst of his trouble. And then he says these words, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed, circle blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's sitting there with nothing left and he's still worshiping God. Do you know how you know your faith in Christ is real? When people will turn their back on you. When money will, will, will walk away from you, when people will hate on you, 
when you will do the worst thing that you could possibly do and you won't let the devil turn your back against God. It said you'll turn your face toward him and say, God, in spite of what I'm experiencing and what I'm going through, I'm gonna worship you because you're good no matter what season I'm going through. See, the sun's always in the air, friend. The sun's always in the air. It's just sometimes there's clouds, and sometimes there's snow, and sometimes there's storms, and sometimes there's hail. But above all the hell we might experience in this realm right here, we still know that the sun still shines above all that trouble. And we've got to learn how to put our faith in the sun who is arisen in the heavenly places and at the right-hand side of God the Father. No matter what's going on in our realm. I want you to write this down because this is big. I reveal my level of trust in God most clearly when life goes most poorly. You don't need faith when you've got all the money you need. You don't need faith when you've got uh, plenty of clothes, when, when everybody's loving on you. No, at those moments you need discernment so that you don't fall in love with those things. So that those things don't become your God. So that just because you've got a nice house, nice wife, nice life, those things don't become everything to you. You still know that God is up to something good, no matter what may happen. So that's concerning our um, world. Number, uh, enemy, number two, concerning our world. Satan can use circumstantial trouble because he's been given limited authority. This is what the backstage pass, Job 1 and 2, is intended to communicate. Yes, the devil will seek to seek, kill, and destroy, but you have to understand, he's on a leash. God only lets him go so far. You say, why does he do it at all? Well, I don't know if I have an accurate answer for that. All I'm asking you to do, and all the text is asking you to do, is to see that this is how it goes. Like, for instance, you know, I know we have a lot of questions about God and a lot of questions about faith. And sometimes some of us have got to learn the secret of being willing to receive what God tells us and take what he doesn't tell us by faith. Did you hear that? Because that was far better than your amen. That was far. You know, the scriptures reveal what God has chosen to reveal and not everything we want to know is always revealed. That's where faith comes in. So what I'm trying to tell you is Job 1 and 2 is just trying to tell you that Satan's on a leash. It's not telling us exactly why, but, it's that ha but that's happening. This is what's happening so that we're aware of it and we can fight back properly. So chapter 2 shows up, and what happens in chapter 2? There came again a day when the sons of God presented themselves before the Lord, and lo and behold, there he is. Satan came and presented himself before the Lord. And the Lord says, well, where have you been? He says, all over the world, you know, up and down, to and fro. And verse 3, Lord, why have you considered my servant Job? I, don't you remember the last time you brought him up? This didn't go well. And he brings him up again. He fears me. He's upright. He turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him with no reason. And then Satan said, skin for skin. And he never stops. He never stops. Somebody say, never stops. Never, stop. never ever stops. So he's upping the ante. He says, and a man will give all that he has for his life. Stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, well, hold, go ahead. He's in your hand. Just don't kill him. Leash. 
And Satan comes and he just scourges Job with all kinds of plagues and disease. And he's sitting there with dust and ashes on the ground and he has to take a piece of broken pottery and scrape the boils off his skin. And then his wife comes by who Satan had left alone during this whole ordeal and says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And then you learn, oh, that's why the devil left her alone. That's why, right there. Because <laughs> that's the kind of woman she is. <laughs> Just kill yourself. Get it over with. Two big truths about our world that you have to understand. Two big truths about our world. Number one, it's under the control of Satan. It's under the control of Satan, this world. When we watch the news, we should not be surprised. When we hear of mass shootings and wars and trouble, we should not be surprised. We should say, yep, there he is, active, doing his thing. That devil, that liar. When, 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 when Jesus was on the, on the earth teaching his disciples, what did he say? You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You will see plagues. You will see destitution. You will see famines. You will see this stuff. Do not be surprised and don't freak out. That's not the end. The end is still to come. And he says, and when these things start to get worse and when everything in the world seems to look like it's going to fall apart, then he says what? He says, lift up your eyes and look for your redemption draws nigh. I'm telling you something. It's 2020. Jesus is closer to coming back than he's ever been before. And all that we see in the world should not cast us down. It should lift up our eyes and say, I know he's on the throne and he's coming back. Amen. So that I don't give, my, give up my face. So I don't give, throw, up, throw the towel in. So, I don't, so that I don't fall to pieces. I know how this is going down. I got my backstage pass from Job chapter 1 and 2. This is the devil at work. When the devil tempts Jesus in Luke chapter 4, what does he say? I'll give you authority all the kingdoms of the earth because it's been delivered to me. And I can give them to whoever I will. Where did the devil get the authority? Not God. Adam. Adam was given authority. Genesis chapter 1. God creates man in his image, and he turns to both of them and says, rule and subdue. Have dominion. Dominion is an authoritative word. That's your world. Do with what you want. Create. Expand. Cultivate. Garden. Build. All these things are good. This is what God wants us to do. Theologians call it the creation mandate. If they had just gotten busy and not listened to his talking snake, they, we'd all be fine. Chapter 2 comes in, and they abdicate their authority, listen, by following the lies of the enemy instead of trusting the truth of God. And you and I do the same exact thing every time we follow the enemy into sin instead of trusting the truth from God. Some people say, why is my life so out of control? Because you've listened to the enemy. He's the God of chaos. Some people say, I don't understand. I can't get, I can't get my money right. I don't understand because you're listening to the enemy. Because when, when the pastor talks about giving and tithing, you, you scorn it. You snarl at it, and you follow the lies of the enemy, and then you have no control over your money, and the devil is laughing, and you're struggling, and you don't have authority. You've lost what God intended you to have. 
So the devil comes to Jesus and says, I'll give it to you if you bow down and worship me. I want you to listen to me. The lie is I'm worth worshiping. He's not worth worshiping. He's worth denying and resisting and casting out. And Jesus stood the test that Adam and Eve failed. He stood the test in the desert and then he rose again in a garden. Where did Adam and Eve lose their authority? In the garden. Where did Jesus get the authority back? In the garden. He came out of that tomb and said, I've got the authority over this world and the devil has nothing on me anymore. And everyone who is in Christ Jesus has that authority. You know what you've got in, in Jesus Christ? I'm going to just do a little experiment with you. You know what you've got in the Lord Jesus Christ? You've got a name. Jesus. And when you hear and when you feel and when you sense the devil coming at you, you need to speak that name. In the name of Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Say, I'm not a good person, Pastor. I'd sinned. I even listened to him last night. That don't matter. What matters is what Jesus did, not what you did. And you aren't saying that in your authority. You're saying it in the authority of your Savior, Jesus, who loves you with an everlasting love and has you in the palm of his hand. You use the name of Jesus because the devil can't stand against that name. He's got the authority, ultimately. But this world, he's going to come and tantalize you and tempt you with it, and it's under his control. But number two, what you have to remember is it's not your home. This world's not my home. Hebrews 13, 14, this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. It's like a soldier in the U.S. Army fighting in Afghanistan. Does he have a place to sleep? Yes. Does he get fed? Yes. Does he have friends? Yeah. Is he home? And neither are you. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have a place to sleep. You're going to have food. You'll have some friends. You're not home. You got to fight this thing. You got to fight through. Say, I don't like what I have to fight. I know, I don't like it either. But we fight knowing that our fight is not in vain. The war is won. You know, there's this scriptural, historical principle that we live between D-Day and V-E-Day. You know what I'm talking about? World War II? D-Day was the day that the Allied forces stormed the beach of Normandy and took the Critical battle in the war, and everybody knew that at that moment, the Allies won. It was just a foregone conclusion that the Nazis were going uh, to lose. And yet, they still had to fight from D-Day all the way through VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. We got to fight. Our D-Day was at the cross. He disarmed the authorities and the rulers and the powers that were against us. It's just a foregone conclusion when the devil finally, once and for all, will lose this battle eternally. But we've got to fight through until we see VH Day, Victory in Heaven Day. Hallelujah. So anyway, this is why Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers. Look at this, the authorities, the powers, the cosmic powers, the authorities in the present darkness and against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a battle going on for your soul. Don't blame God. Run to him. In Ezekiel 18, this is what he says to his ancient people, Israel. He says, put your rebellion behind you. 
Find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the Lord. Turn back and live. Trust, maybe you failed earlier. Sorry, trust today. The greatest thing about the grace of God is that it's new every morning. And you got a new grace today. Finally, number three, Job invites us to see the nature of God because here's the nature of God about this whole battle that we're in. In Jesus, God took Satan's worst trouble at the cross to save you and bring you home. In Jesus, God took Satan's worst trouble at the cross to save you and bring you home. Let me show you this for a second. In the wilderness, the devil said, if you are the son of God. In the garden of Gethsemane, the devil had all his followers leave him. And on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took all of it for you. That's the gospel. And if you believe it, you get back those three things. You get back self the way God sees you. You get back neighbors and friends and fellowship the way God wanted for you. And then you most importantly get sonship before your father who loves you. At the end of Job's life, I'm sorry, ordeal. After 35 chapters of the religious guys arguing about why Job is to blame for his trouble. Religious. It says, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Why the whirlwind? Because Job had been through the whirlwind himself. And God was saying, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to go through the whirlwind. Now he asks Job a bunch of questions. And at the end of the thing, Job says, I uttered things I did not understand, too wonderful for me. I heard of you in the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes have seen you, therefore I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. So Jesus would say in chapter 12, chapter 12 of John, verse 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. What's he talking about? He's talking about the cross being the final D-Day over the devil's deception. And on that cross, the only true innocent sufferer, the only true Job, died so that we could live in the love of God. I've talked a lot about war today. I want to tell you about a guy named Hiro Onona, Onada, I'm sorry, Hiro Onada. He was a second lieutenant in the Japanese war in the Japanese army during World War II. And while he was fighting in the South Pacific, his battalion got stranded on a Philippine island and they went up onto a mountain to retreat from the enemy and the Americans took the island. And so they hid for their lives. And Hiro Inada told his men to just stay put. Stay put because this war is gonna last a while. Well, the war ended, but they were so segregated they didn't know. And they stayed up on that island for months with the war being over. You know that they flew planes over the island. They dropped leaflets of saying, the war's over. The Allies have won. It's over. Go home. 
Hero Unoda, Unoda took that as propaganda from the enemy, so he stayed up on the mountain. Years go by. He's still up on the mountain. They drop more leaflets. He still thinks it's propaganda. Another four years go by. One of his men decides to go and hand himself off to the enemy. He never comes back. Guess what Hironata thinks? He thinks, well, they took him. They're not getting me. He stays up on the island. More years go by. Finally, 29 years later, his commanding officer comes up onto that mountain. This is after years of trying to find him. And he meets Hiro Anoda face to face because he told him before he went into battle, he said, I want you to know something, Hiro. No matter what happens to you, I will come back for you. He came up onto that mountain and he said those same words to Hiro Anoda. He said, I told you I'd come back for you. The war is over. Come home. He wasted 30 years of his life because he thought a war was going on that had ended long ago. And some of you are running from God and hiding because you're convinced the war between you and him is still going on. And I'm here to tell you, the war is over. Your big brother Jesus took your punishment and your pain so that you could have the love of God living in your heart. He's coming back for you. Come home.